Throughout the pandemic, we'll have all heard a phrase, something like this. It popped up in the news quite a few times, that we're only three days away of empty shells bringing us into chaos. Remember hearing that? We've got three days. And if there's nothing on the shelves after three days, we're going to descend into chaos. It's going to be mutiny, all sorts of um, rebellion and fights and all sorts. And we did get close, right? Remember the scenes? Like, it, I don't know, three, four years ago, if, if we'd have tried to have a guess about what would really stir our affections and make us angry, it wouldn't have been toilet roll. But that's where we got to. People were fighting over toilet rolls in the crazy, crazy times. Israel, as we come to chapter 15 of the Exodus story, find themselves in a situation where they are in great need of something. And their default, we find, is the grumble. And every time a need that God's people find themselves in, a door opens and we can move in one of two directions. We can grumble when we don't have what we think we need. And that road always leads to bitterness or we can respond with gratitude thankfulness gratefulness for what we have in the moment that we are in and that road leads to joy you'll notice at the front of your new books there's a new title the first uh, kind of third of the exodus story we're talking about a journey to freedom we saw that in the exodus story this next kind of central part of the exodus story We're calling it a journey to formation. We're going to really look about how God forms his people, how he gives them specific things to help them be the people that he's called them to be, to form them, to conform them into his image, which, if you remember, right back in Genesis, is the great purpose of God. Now, if you remember where we left off before we had a couple of weeks out for Easter, in chapter 15, in the start of chapter 15, we saw that God had just done the impossible. Remember, he led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. He'd done the impossible in part in the Red Sea, and his people passed through the Red Sea. They reached the other side, and behind, the waters close in and consume all of Israel's enemies. And they get to the other side, and we saw this wonderful song that Moses leads all of God's people in. Remember this magnificent worship service, two and a half million people all coming together, singing in one voice. And they enjoy dancing and music. And Elizabeth's there shaking a tambourine. And there was just so much joy and, 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 and looking at what God has done. But then when we get to the end of chapter 15, as we're going to see, just three days out from that point, three days away from this epic worship service, three days away of remembering and celebrating all that God had done, it's a very different story. Over these next three chapters, chapter 15, 16, and 17, the reality of life outside of the worship gathering hits home. On three different opportunities and three different scenarios, Israel find themselves in a place of need. And this is the door opening. It's a door opening. They need something. And so they have an opportunity either to move towards gratitude, to see what they stand in and all that God has done for them, or that they can move to grumbling. First, we see in chapter 15, they find themselves in a place called Mara. And then we see in chapter 16, God provides them manna. And then in chapter 17, we find them thirsty in Massa. As we work through these three different locations, we're going to learn three different things about grumbling. And we're going to see three aspects of God's character. 
But let me just pray for us again before we jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, we love it, Lord. We love that you communicate to us. Thank you that you're not a silent God. Thank you that you don't withhold yourself from your people. Thank you that you've communicated yourself to us, even as we walked into this building this afternoon. The glory and just the beauty of creation speaks of you. Thank you that it just constantly communicates to us beauty and value and perfection and wonder and splendor. And we thank you for how your word does that to us. And so this afternoon we pray as we read through and as we try and understand what it is that you're saying, we pray that you would lead us to see who you are. Something, something fresh, something new or remind us again. Help us to see that you are a gracious God. Help us to trust you. Jesus, we thank you that these are your words. And so we can trust that they are living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray by the power of your spirit, come and change us, transform us. Make us more into your likeness, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, chapter 15. We're not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. But we are going to move through each of these three chapters. You find at Mara in chapter 15, we find the first grumble. And in the first grumble, this is what we learn. Grumbling is disbelief. Verse 22 of chapter 15, we see that Israel traveled for three days from the Red Sea. And they haven't found water. They're thirsty. They, they need something. They need to drink. And, and they eventually stumble on some water, but it's undrinkable. The water is bitter, and so they name the place Mara, which means bitter. And, and in this moment of need, this is the door opening to God's people. Okay, they need something. What are they going to do? Are they going to come to God? Are they going to be grateful for what they have? Are they going to bring their need to God? Or are they going to dig their heels in and stand in stubbornness and grumble? Let's see in verse 24 what they do. They're in need, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, let's just be clear. They are thirsty. They do need water. But God has been continually showing them through this journey, trust me, follow me. I will give you what you need. If you remember in the story, he puts in front of them a, a, a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of cloud at night. And he says, follow me and stop when the cloud stops. If the cloud doesn't stop, They continue, they keep moving, they keep moving as the cloud keeps moving and the cloud hasn't stopped. And so they should keep moving and keep following God. But in this moment, they need something and they stop. God, we need this. We're thirsty. Give us what we need. God has continually been telling them, I will care for you. I will provide for you. I will give you shelter. I will defend you. Just trust me. But instead, they grumble. Give me some water. We're thirsty. Look how God responds in verse 25. They come and they grumble. God, um, Moses cries to the Lord. And the Lord showed Moses a log. He threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. God tells Moses to throw this piece of water, piece of wood into the water. And as he does... The water becomes sweet and they drink. God gives them what they ask for. He's being gracious towards them. In the midst of their grumbling, God is gracious. But he makes a point in verse 26. 
Verse 26, he says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that, is, that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. God is saying, follow me, trust me, listen to my word. I am trustworthy. Don't walk ahead of me. Don't stumble behind. Walk with me. I will give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. And what's just so ironic and funny is in verse 27, they come to a place called Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. So you see what's going on here? They're thirsty and they cry out to God, we need to drink. And God's like, it's okay, trust me, trust me. No, we need water now. And just round the corner, there is paradise waiting for them. Palm trees and springs and the best water they could imagine. If only they'd have just trusted God and followed it. It's a little bit like, you know, Willy Wonka and the Charlie, Charlie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? No. Yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, factory with Willy Wonka in it. All the kids are following Willy Wonka around the factory and they want this and they want that and they want it now. Whereas good old Charlie, he waits to the end. Okay, he takes the golden, he takes, takes the um, everlasting gobstopper, but he gives it back in the end, doesn't he? And at the end, he's rewarded with the whole factory. If only the kids had waited, if only they'd held out, there was something good waiting for them. But no, they wanted what they wanted and they wanted it now. Israel had hung on, there was beauty and rest and all the water they needed just around the corner. See, in all three of these locations, God is teaching Israel an important lesson. As the door opens, when they come across a point of need, they have one of two ways of responding, grumbling or gratitude. And in this location at Mara, they learn that grumbling really is the voice of unbelief. Folks, when we grumble, we are no longer trusting that God is good and his purposes are good. We're just looking at the pain or the frustration of the present now and we're failing to look at God and all that he's done and all he's promised for us. God gives his people a choice at Mara in verse 26. He says, you can either diligently listen to the Lord, your God, or you can follow the raging mob inside of yourself. One of those options will lead to joy And one will lead to bitterness. Grumbling is disbelief. Secondly, as we move into chapter 16, we see that grumbling is dissatisfaction. It's us wanting more. In chapter 16, they journey on into the wilderness and they still haven't learned their lesson. They stop in Elam for a little bit and they head on and the grumbling starts again. This time they want something good to eat. And so they come again in verse 2 of chapter 16. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And again in verse 7, they grumble again. And again in verse 8, they grumble again. And listen to what it is that they say. In verse 3, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger like they're making some bold claims right there aren't they we were better off in Egypt like Moses I wish you just kept us enslaved back there you've actually made our situation worse things aren't better here what they're doing there is characteristic of grumbling 
Grumbling is an act of ingratitude, but what happens when we grumble is we make an interpretation of God, we make an interpretation of ourselves and our circumstances that is ultimately out of step with reality. We say things like, do you know what? I'd be a much better boss than my boss. I could do his job better than I could. Or we look at our marriage and we, and we find the struggles and we think, do you know what? I'd be better off married to someone else. Or I'd be more comfortable in a different church. Or we look at our situation and we think, I deserve better than this. And instead of crying out to God and saying, God, help me to trust that you are good, we say, no, we deserve something different. We deserve better. And we fabricate this alternate reality that we think that we should live in and that we think we deserve to inhabit. And we say, I want that now. And we grumble together. Grumbling is an act of ingratitude. But look how God responds in verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. God responds once again with grace. They don't deserve anything. They're bitter towards God. They're ungrateful towards God. But God responds with grace. He rains down manna for them, which was this like wafer type bread. It comes from heaven. It comes from the skies. It settles on the ground and it's there fresh for them every morning. And then in verse 13, in the evening, God sends quails. Anyone ever seen a quail? Andy has. There you go. It's like a small gamish bird, isn't it? I don't know how it tastes, but I think it would have tasted really good because every good gift comes from God and I'm sure it would have tasted great. And these little quails are running all around the camp and there's enough every day for them to eat. Verse 18, there was enough for everyone. God meets their need perfectly. He's so generous in his grace. Just like at Mara, God is inviting his people to trust him. He says to them, there will be enough for you every day. Don't store any for the next day. I will give you fresh food every day. Gather in enough each day. And on the sixth day, gather in twice as much because on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I don't want you to go out and work. See, even rest is a, is a, a, a call from God to trust in him. He says, just take what you need for the day and I will provide for tomorrow. Look down in verse uh, we just read verse four and five, but we see uh, that they respond again in, in a, a need and, a, and a, a response of ingratitude. God responds with grace. In verse 21, we see whatever was left over after the day was melted away. They try and keep some to themselves. And by the next day, it's, it's rotten. It's filled with maggots. And there's some guys who go out on the Sabbath, the day when they're not meant to collect any in, and there's none there. God is saying, trust me. What you need for tomorrow will be there. Just trust me for today and I will give you what you need. Enjoy what you have today and I will give you what you need for tomorrow. Grumbling is ingratitude. It's dissatisfaction. And thirdly, grumbling is disobedience. The wilderness is really a school of daily trust for God's people. And in chapter 17, the lesson continues. They move on further into the desert. They land in a place called Rephidim. 
And again, they find themselves in a place with no water. So come on, Israel, you've been here before. You know that God's going to provide. You don't need to grumble. But what happens in verse two? The people quarrel with Moses and said, give us water to drink. In verse three, just like at Mara, they look back at Egypt and they say, it was better back there. Why did you, why did you take us out? And in verse seven, they sink to a new low. They call the name Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of the Lord. And then listen to this. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They point the finger at God. Are you here or not, God? Are you working for us or not, God? After all he has done. He's just liberated them from 400 years of slavery from the strongest empire in the world. He's just done the mind-blowing impossible of parting the Red Sea, passing them through, destroying all of their enemies. He's just, he's just rained bread from the sky. God, are you for us or not? Are you actually, are you at work or not? See, what they're doing here is walking in disobedience. Grumbling is sin, folks. That's what it is. But look how God responds again. At Mara with the manna and now in Massa, God confronts their grumbling with grace. He tells Moses, he says, Moses, stand over there. I'm going to stand on the rock. The people are to stand over there. Moses, take your rod and strike the rock. And as he strikes the rock, water comes out of the rock. And it's enough water for all of them. Grumbling is disobedient. God meets us with grace and grumbling. But we need to see that when we grumble, it's sinful. And just so we're clear, grumbling isn't the same as complaining. So in verse 4, Moses complains to God. And he doesn't get reprimanded for that. Poor Moses is like, really, Lord? Does it have to be these people? Like, they, just, they just grumble all the time. Grumbling isn't the same as complaining. Complaining isn't necessarily sin. Think of Habakkuk. And when we walked through Habakkuk last year, and it's right and it's good that we sometimes come to God and we cry out to God. Complaining isn't always sinful, but, but grumbling, grumbling is sinful. Grumbling really at its essence is discontentment made audible. It's the hardness of heart that escapes through the mouth. If you don't believe me, listen to what God says in Psalm 95, verses 8 and 9. God is reflecting and teaching his people under King David about about how he wants them to live. And he says this, looking back to this very incident, he says this. Do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Do not harden your heart. Who does that remind you of in the Exodus story? Pharaoh. God says to his people, don't don't take the same road that Pharaoh took. Don't grumble and take the same road that Pharaoh took. Grumbling hardens our hearts. It questions God's character. It presumes that we know better than God. And really, God has shown us here that at its essence, grumbling is a spiritual problem. 
And we might dress it up using nice words. We might say, well, I'm just venting. I'm just being honest. I'm just getting something off my chest. Or we might even spiritualize it and say, Ryan, I've just got a prayer request to share with you. But really, I'm grumbling. Not just to Ryan, by the way. You could do that with anyone. That applies for anyone. God sees our hearts and he knows what is going on. And I think often we do too. Grumbling is disobedience. Grumbling is sin. If we think we know better than God, folks, we are being deceived by sin. And we are acting just like Pharaoh. As we saw with Pharaoh, grumbling leads to a hard heart and a hard heart leads to ruin. Our daily needs are doors that open. And we can respond with gratitude or we can respond with grumbling. Grumbling which is disbelief, grumbling which is an act of dissatisfaction and grumbling which is an act of disobedience. And it always leads to bitterness. Now I won't get us to put our hands up but if I was to ask us whether we are grumblers Okay, Heather's being very honest there. She's nodding her head. We all are. We are. We all grumble. We all find ourselves in times of need and we think, I deserve better than this. I want what I want and I want it now. We grumble all the time. And if it is a road to bitterness, if it is a road to dissatisfaction, if it is sin and if it is distrust from God, then folks, we need a way out. So what is it? Well, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2.14. He says that there is a way to do all things without grumbling. So there is a way out. The Apostle Paul sees it. There is a way to do all things without grumbling. And here's the, the way that I think we do it. Firstly, we repent. Grumbling, when we grumble, it isn't because of our external circumstances. We might think that it is, but really grumbling is bubbling up from what's in our hearts. Like, think of the Apostle Paul who says that. He's sitting there in chains. Like, if anyone has a reason to grumble, it's the man who's in prison with chains. And yet he's the one who says, do all things without grumbling. And then think about his letter to the Philippians, right at the heart of his letter, as he presents Christ, Christ who humbles himself to the point of even death on a cross. And he doesn't grumble. Folks, before anything else, grumbling is a problem with you. It's sinful. And we need to be humble enough to see that it is and repent. Turn away. We repent and we need to refocus. Remember, our grumbling comes from having a faulty view of really what's going on. Viewing our circumstances, viewing God, viewing ourselves in a wrong way. Thinking of this alternative universe that we deserve to belong in. Decoupling our reality from the reality that is really ours as God's children. So what we need to do after repenting is we need to refocus. Paul says in the verse that follows in Philippians, he says that we can do all things without grumbling by holding fast to the word of life. If you're a grumbler, if you struggle with grumbling, hold fast to God's word. Meditate on his word. As the temptation to grumble comes, specifically think upon words from God's, uh, from Scripture that help us remember His goodness, help us remember the blessings that we receive as His children. 
and especially help us to remember who we are in Christ. If you're really prone to grumbling, I'd encourage you, write those verses out. Put them somewhere that you'll see them frequently. Put them on the fridge, put them on your door on the way out, put them on your phone, wherever you kind of look at regularly. If you find yourself being prone to grumble instead of being prone to gratitude, you need to hold fast to God's word. And thirdly, remember, as we gain our focus back, one thing that it will help us do as we hold fast to God's word is it will remind us of how rich we are in Christ. I love what we started our time with together from Ephesians 2. We are so rich Rich beyond what we know with who we are in Christ. As we remember who we are in Christ, our grumbling will give way to gratitude. Like if Israel had only turned back and remembered all that God had done, if they'd have done that, gratitude would have overwhelmed them. So if grumbling is your go-to when you find yourself in a place of need, you need to remember grace. You need to remember what God has done for you. Practically, when you feel the urge to grumble, I'd encourage you, write down some evidences of God's grace in your life. Write down things that you've received from God that you just don't deserve. Like start in the small and then work your way to the big. Thank God for the breath that you breathe. Thank God for the roof over your head. Thank God for the bird song. Thank God for the good coffee. It was good today, Alan. Bless you, brother. Thank God for all of the good gifts that God gives us. And then end with giving God thanks for the greatest gift that he has given you. The grace that comes to you through Christ as his disciple. The grace of your salvation. Back in the wilderness. Chapter 17, we see that God provides yet again. But his generosity and his grace, they don't stop his people from grumbling. After chapter 17, we're going to see again that God's people fail to trust him again and again. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses is writing another song. He's already had one hit. He's going to go for another one. And he writes another song, and this song is, is looking really at a, a who's to come. He says, the prophet is coming, a prophet who is going to be greater than me. When this prophet comes, listen to him. Listen to him. Now fast forward a few thousand years. And if you can put a finger in chapter 17, move with me to John chapter 6. A few thousand years later, Jesus is on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. And a crowd are gathering. You'll know the story. They're hungry. They come to the disciples and they say that they need something to eat. And the disciples come to Jesus. The crowd are hungry. They need something to eat. There's thousands of people, men, women, children, all listening to Jesus' words. For it's lunchtime and they're hungry. And so Jesus says, okay, collect them what food you've got. And they come back with five loaves and two fish. And we know the miracle. Jesus feeds all of them. There's food left over. Everyone's satisfied. And as they see this miracle that Jesus does in chapter 6, verse 14, the people start talking together and they wonder whether this is the prophet that the Old Testament prophets looked towards. Is this the one that, that Moses told us to wait for? Is this the one that Moses said, when he comes, listen to him, trust him. As they wait for him, Jesus in verse 35 says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just like God did in 
chapter 15, 16 and 17 of the Exodus, Jesus satisfies their hunger and satisfies their thirst, but in a different way. Whoever believes in me shall, what does he say? Never thirst. See, in the desert, their their physical hunger was satisfied. Their physical thirst was satisfied, but Jesus is talking about something much deeper. He's saying, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to quench your thirst eternally. Jesus is offering his people eternal life. And so as we think of maybe the situations that we're in now, folks, the struggles that we're in now, the difficulty we might feel, if we feel that God is depriving us and and we deserve something else, what we are experiencing now is momentary compared with an eternity of satisfaction that God has promised us in Christ. That means we can trust Jesus to give us what we need today and to trust him that he will give us all that he has one day. Just think about what Jesus is offering on that day. Eternal life. No more hunger spiritually. No more thirst spiritually. No more pain. No more suffering. No more struggle. He offers that. But then look at how the people respond in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled. (laughs) Like, come on, guys. Jesus has just offered you eternal life. He's just offered to satisfy you forever. And they grumble. Jesus, as he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes me shall never thirst. He's actually looking back to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 says, you can come to God and you can eat. You can eat all that you need spiritually. And as you come, you can come and there's no price. You don't have to pay. There's nothing you can give. You can just take what you need from God. He wants to give it to you for free. And yet they still grumble. See, grumbling happens, folks, when we forget about grace. When our our sight becomes laser focused on our problem and we forget all that God has done. We forget all of the riches that we have received. It breeds disbelief. It breeds dissatisfaction. And ultimately, it's disobedience. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 43. Do not grumble. Like if you don't believe me when I'm saying don't grumble, at least listen to Jesus. Think about what he's offered you. Think about the grace in which you stand and hear his command. Do not grumble. But hear this. What does God do with the guilty grumbler? Turn back to me. Uh, Turn back with me to Exodus 17. In this final grumble that we see, Israel put God on trial. They put the finger at God. Are you among us or not? Are you for us or not? Are you working for us? Are you going to give us what we need or not? They turn and they put the finger at God. It's them who are walking in disobedience. It's them who are walking in sin. But they put God on trial. And actually the whole scene is set out like a courtroom. You have God's people gathered together making their complaints, even though they're the guilty ones. And then in verse 5 of chapter 17, God says to Moses, I'm going to stand before you on the rock at Horeb. 
So you have Israel at one side, you have God on the rock on the other side, then you have Moses in the middle, almost like a, like a judge or a, or a lawyer. And then he also says that the elders of Israel are seated watching. So it's as if you have a public gallery and the elders, the elders of Israel are all watching on. And the case being brought is Israel. It's God's people against God. And look what happens next. God tells Moses in verse 6 to take his staff. And I remember what Moses' staff has been used for so far. It's symbolic of God's judgment. He takes it with him when he goes to Pharaoh, remember? Throws it on the floor. He shows God's supremacy over Pharaoh. It's a, it's a symbol of his judgment. He holds out over the Red Sea. It parts and then it closes over in judgment over Egypt as they come through. And so God says, take up your staff. Take up your rod, which is symbolic of his judgment. Now, in this courtroom, the guilty party, they are God's people. It's Israel. They have sinned. They have rebelled. They have turned away from God. God is completely innocent. He has just continued time after time to provide. He's continually been patient. He's continually just shown grace time after time. But look what God does. God says to Moses in verse 5, take the staff and strike the rock. And the judgment falls on the rock, not on the people. What happens next? In verse 6, water flows out and the people drink. And their thirst is quenched. Like, what is going on here? Well, throughout the Old Testament, the rock is used as a picture for God. In Deuteronomy 32, as Moses is singing a song, he describes God four times as the rock. He says, the rock is immovable. The rock is our salvation. The rock has birthed us. The rock protects us. For Moses, for God's people, they know that the rock at Horeb is illustrative of God. And then when we get to to the New Testament, this picture becomes crystal clear to us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it's up on the screen there. Paul says this, he's looking back to the Exodus and he says, Our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Now listen to this, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was See, what happened at Massa was a pointer towards the cross. The cross, God in Christ stands on one side as the innocent party. He's done no wrong. They try and try him, but they just trump up charges and, and they're baseless. He's completely innocent. And on the other side stand humanity, the guilty party those who have walked in sin and rebellion, those who deserve judgment and condemnation. The rock against the people. And at the cross, the Father says, strike the rock. And God's rod of judgment falls on Jesus. Jesus, the bread who satisfies our hunger, is the rock who bears our judgment. And just like at Massa, as Christ is struck by the rod of judgment by his Father, blessings flow to his people.
The blood that flows from Jesus is the payment for our sin. It covers us. It pays for our judgment due to God. Through his broken body, just like the rock was broken at Massa, through Jesus' broken body, we are brought into God's eternal family. Through his resurrection, we're given his spirit, the constant presence of Christ, presence of Christ so we can rely on him for all of our needs, one day at a time. And as you look in verse 17, as Moses strikes the rock and the blessings pour out to God's people, it wasn't just a trickle. It couldn't have been. Like there's two and a half million people there. And Moses tells us there was enough water there to feed all of the livestock. As the rock is struck, there is enough blessings there for everyone. The sufficiency of God's grace is more than enough. As we leave this place this afternoon, there will be things that hit us this week. There will be times where we feel that we need something and it just isn't there and the temptation will be to grumble. That door will open. The opportunity to walk in gratitude or the opportunity to walk in grumbling. Can I encourage us, brothers and sisters, to look at the grace in which we stand and to see that his grace is entirely and always sufficient for us. When we hit difficulty, when we hit struggle this week, we can look at the cross and know that his grace is enough that he has provided and he will provide. You know, grumbling can encourage us to repent, to refocus and to remember the grace of God that is already ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that as your people we stand in it now. Our Father, we don't deserve anything good from you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that even though we were born as objects of wrath, worthy only of your judgment. Thank you that the rod of your judgment has fallen on your son. Through his death, we just receive a torrent of blessings. Mm-hmm. Father, help us as we leave later on. Help us as we navigate the difficulty of life this week to default to gratitude, to remember who we are in Christ, to look back and remember all that you've done, to look forward and remember all that you've promised to us, to allow your grace to overwhelm us in those moments where we're tempted to grumble. Help us to see if what it is. It's disbelief, it's, it's ignoring the good gifts that you've given to us, it's sin. Help us to respond rightly in the moments where we fall and we falter, but thank you for your grace time and time and time after again. Thank you that you consistently meet us with grace in our grumblings. We want to leave that life behind, so help us by your spirit to look to the death of your son Jesus, to look at his resurrection to see how the punishment due to us has fallen on him and to give you thanks. Thank you that your grace is enough, that you have given us all that we need today and we can trust you for tomorrow. We thank you, Father. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.